This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Today I'm looking at celebrating our true inheritance. Now sharing God's word was something that Jesus himself loved to do. And for because he was dealing with a largely illiterate population, he used parables a lot to be able to explain or demonstrate the kingdom of God and our place as children of God in it. And perhaps the most famous of all these parables is the parable of the prodigal son, found in Luke 15. The word prodigal itself means to be reckless, to be extravagant, lavish, or even wasteful. And through this story, we're gonna see the themes expressed in the younger brother who many may feel was reckless, in the father whose love was certainly lavish, and in the older brother who considered the celebration that followed to be a waste. Now, if you turn to your Bibles, I don't know if this is gonna come up behind me. Uh, Starting from verse 11, the scripture starts with Jesus continued. Now in continuing, Jesus was picking up from parables he had been sharing earlier with a crowd of undesirables, tax collectors, publicans, sinners. I mean, these were the kind of people religious Jews would not normally associate with. It's as bad as a a sports fan hanging out with an Arsenal fan. (laughs) I mean, okay, maybe not that bad, but you get the gist. It was an abomination. Nevertheless, Jesus chose to cross the divide to hang out with these people because he valued each of them as, as an individual. He saw them as a person to love rather than a label to hate. You've all heard the mantra, love the sinner, hate the sin. And that was the case of what was happening here. It was not that he condoned their lifestyle, rather he saw them for what they were. They were lost sheep without a shepherd. In the same way, he saw the shame, he saw beyond the shame of the cross to consider dying for you and me worth it. We weren't perfect, but Jesus thought we were worth it. And it goes on, as the story goes, the Bible tells us about two sons. And God uses this relationship to demonstrate the relationship, his love as a father to us and our nature as children to him. In verse 12, he tells us, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now he was an immature and self-entitled child who demanded his inheritance, calling it my share of the estate as if he worked for it. An inheritance is something you normally bequeath to a beneficiary after the death of the benefactor, not before. So for the son to demand his inheritance now was kind of premature and actually was kind of inconsiderate. But it's the same way many of us treat Jesus. We treat him, I mean, maybe not here, but I mean, a lot of the world treat him as someone who's dead, even though he's alive, we treat him as if he's dead, and we fail to take advantage of the relationship that he has with us. Now, I can imagine the fury of the audience as they heard this, as they heard this story, because most of them would have been fathers themselves. Yet the son believed he deserved it. He believed he was entitled, and that's what gave him the confidence to ask. And this sense of entitlement brings me to my first question, of which I've got three. And the first question is, what was our inheritance? In some ways, we too demand our inheritance from God. Now, it's one thing to demand it as an assurance of grace to carry out his own will. It's another thing to demand it as an entitlement of merit to serve our own will. Sometimes we tell him, I'm your child, bless me. <laughs> like he's some divine butler, or like he's a genie in a bottle ready to answer at a beck and call. 
Still, it's a good thing that God does not give us the inheritance we deserve. For scriptures tells us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That is our inheritance. That's what we were worth. That's the value of the wages we've earned. But thank God it does not end there. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we know that that eternal life is like a party pack for us. And for anyone who's got kids, you know how important it is when you go to a birthday party, you make sure you get a party pack. Back to our story. Now it says the son acted on the opportunity. He tells us in verse 13, he got together all he had and set off for a distant country. He effectively put distance between himself and his father. He had no intention of returning. The Bible says he took everything he had. And he had what he thought he had. He had no father to, he had, he had money to burn, no father to get involved with his business. You know, nothing to hinder the lifestyle he craved. He thought he had it all. But unfortunately, the honeymoon did not last. In verse 14, he tells us, after he had spent everything, there was a famine in the country and he began to be in need. We all know the story. He squandered the inheritance that was meant, <clears throat> that was meant to set him up for life in a matter of months. And that was because he did not appreciate the value of what he had. After all, he didn't work for it. And this is a reflection of what happens when we do not value what God blesses us with. In some cases, it could be, it could be money, it could be talent, it could be time, it could be influence, it could be opportunity. The reality is once we do not use it the way God intends, we end up abusing it. Another problem the son had was that he made the mistake of confusing what he possessed with his worth as a person. He thought the money was his identity. But as he found out, when what you possess becomes your sole attraction, when that goes, the people will leave you. And that's what happened with this guy. The Bible says he lost everything. And so this person that was once the life of the party now became so desperate, just trying to find a way to survive. And he ended up with one option not an ideal option, which was to walk, on, to, to walk on a pig farm. Now, for anyone who remotely knows anything about Jewish culture or laws, you, you know that walking with pigs, to even accidentally touch them was an abomination under the law. But he had to wake up every single morning knowing that he was going to go to work intentionally to walk with these pigs. And it seems the pay was so low because he could not even afford to feed himself, which is why he was longing for the food the pigs were having. But notwithstanding, even though it looked as if things could not get any lower, all was not lost. And I say this here to anybody who thinks he or she has done something so unspeakable or so unforgivable. I just want to assure you that all is not lost. Watch this. In verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Instead of stewing in his mistake or believing his sin was unpardonable, he chose to go back to his father and ask for forgiveness. Remember, he had left as an, heir, as an heir, but now he was prepared to go back as a hired servant. He had arrogantly demanded his inheritance as a son, but now he accepted in verse 19 that he was not worthy to be called a son. How time changed. And this is the kind of remorse that's required for us to be able to come to our senses and take the step, the right step that's required to get back to God. To recognize that we are worthy of his judgment, 
or to throw ourselves at his mercy. Thankfully, God was more eager to give to receive him than he imagined. Let's continue in verse 20. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son had imagined the worst. He was willing to accept any consequence as long as he was received. However, the same father was eager to forgive him and receive him back. In fact, the father saw him first because he was already on the lookout for him. And this is the posture of someone who's praying with a heart of expectation. This is the heart of an intercessor. You look out with expectation. And it reminds me of the recent baptisms of Gabby and Ayila. I was moved by the testimonies of their praying mother, a mother who did not give up on them for their salvation. Now, some of us have got family. We've got neighbors. We've got friends. We've got colleagues that we've been praying for for a very long time. I want to encourage you. Keep the faith. Keep praying. <laughs> God will surely do it. Your prodigals will come home. Now, the father's acceptance did not change the fact that he had been hurt by his son's actions. Nevertheless, he was prepared to offer redemption instead of condemnation. Remember the religious rulers I told you about earlier? I could imagine if this was one of their children. <laughs> and it goes on to say in verse 21, it says, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a, finger on, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, you're going to hear that word a lot, and is found. So they began to celebrate. And this brings me to my next question. What is our inheritance now? The good news is God, our Heavenly Father, loves the return of lost sheep. Nothing else provokes a, a party with the angels in heaven than salvation, not even great exploits of faith. And this is why in Luke 10, 20, Jesus told the disciples who were excited by the miracles they had gone out to perform of demons buying and people, you know, the sick being healed. He said they should not rejoice in their power. He said instead rejoice in your salvation because that's eternal, that, that's forever. And that's the inheritance that God has for us. And a good party requires good party clothes, doesn't it? Suzwa talked about us having garments of praise. Now, this child was not only forgiven, he was restored as a son. You know, it's one thing to forgive somebody and still keep your eye on him, you know, waiting for the person to fall <laughs> next time. But it's another thing to completely wipe the slate clean. He was given the best robes, which is a symbol of righteousness. The Bible talks of us having garments as white as snow. He was given a ring. This was somebody who couldn't afford. If he, had, if he had his own ring, he would have been able to sell it to buy food. <laughs> but he was given a ring, which is a same sign of royalty, like the king's signet. He was given sandals, which is symbolic of the footwear for messengers of the gospel. The Bible talks of how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And all this is captured in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, talking of the kingly priest, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Notice that these items were graciously put on him, which is an irony 
considering that this boy tried to snatch his inheritance at first. What's more, this time the celebration was for him. It wasn't for what he possessed. It was for him as a person. But not everyone was happy. Verse 25 shows us that the older son was on his way back from the field. He didn't even get an invite to the party. He was on his way back from the field. And he heard the music and the dancing. And he actually heard the information third hand from his servant. <laughs> I told him what was going on. I mean, that had to hurt. Especially when he says, I said the father was rewarding the siblings' foolishness. In verse 28, it says, The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Essentially, the father leaves the 99 and goes out to appease the one to bring him inside. But the son was not having it. No, 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 no. He had been a dutiful and obedient son all this while. But for what? In a roundabout way, he was saying, I should be the one having a party. I should be the one whose inheritance should be celebrated, not him. While I've got your attention, there's something I need to scare off my chest. You see, I've been a member of New Community Church now for over 17 years. And all this while, I've kept my head down, minded my business, just, you know, just gone about things. And then one day, one day, another Tunde comes along. I mean, that hurts. <laughs> I mean, now, when people call Tunde, I have to look around to make sure it's not, it's whether they're talking to me or they're talking to him. <laughs> but I love you, Tunde. Don't worry. <laughs> My point is, there is, there is space for two Tundes in this church. Because his place here is not at my expense. And the father reiterates this in verse 31. He says, my son, you have always been with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost that word again and is found. The other brother thought that the younger brother's return would compromise his place with his father as if the love of his father would now have to be rationed. But Jesus tells us in John 14 too, in my father's house are many rooms, so there's enough blessings to go around. Your blessing is not tied to mine, and mine is not tied to yours. It's not at the expense of each other. What we already have, the blessings of God. God is not trying, to, God doesn't need to divide it any else, to whittle it down to, in order for it to go around. And that brings me to my third point, which is not a question this time, it's a statement. We have an inheritance worth celebrating. Colossians 1.12 says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. You didn't qualify yourself. Nobody else qualified you. He himself has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So that means you do not need to snatch or earn your inheritance. You've already got it because you're already qualified by God. And this was the message that Jesus was sharing in the parables. He was trying to make them understand that God desires salvation for the lost and the helpless, people who do not deserve it. So if you feel you don't deserve God's inheritance, you're in good company. And he captures this in verse in Luke 19:10 when he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That word again. In other words, you already have a party invitation. And God loves a party. In Luke 14, talking of yet another celebration, 
Jesus says from verse 21, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the undeserving. In other words, tell them to come as you are. You see, the lie the devil tries to tell us most times is that we need to do something to get God's attention. But here he's telling us, come as you are. And you do not need to be apprehensive about it because Jesus is eager to bring you back. Verse 6 of Luke 15 says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. In this place, he's talking of sheep that have wandered off into the field. And there's probably a question for those who grew up in the church. But somehow, something's happened and you strayed away. You started in church as a kid, but now you've gone off to a distant country in your older years. You've moved away from God. Or you could be like what he says in verse 9. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. This time he's speaking of the coin that was lost inside the house. There are those of you that have been missing in the house. You're in church, but somehow you're invisible. You feel insignificant. You feel you're not worthy to be called a son. Whatever the case, being lost is just the tag that God needs to find you. I say it again, being lost is just a tag that God needs to find you. And as I said earlier, God is willing to leave the 99 to pursue the one, which may seem reckless from, a world, from the world's perspective. Certainly doesn't make business sense. But that's the value that God places on you. Like the Laurel advert says, because you're worth it. So wherever you've run to, it's time to come home. Now, football may not have come home, but you can. <laughs> Sorry to go there. <laughs> and for some, that means returning to the Father's waiting arms. For others, it means discarding that cloak of shame and lifting your heads. Your heads. And so I have three prayer points for three different categories of people. And the first are for those who do not even know they have an inheritance. They're blissfully living their lives oblivious to the fact that there is somebody who died for their sins and made the inheritance of eternity possible for them. Jesus talks of the sheep who are not yet part of, his, of this flock. So that's for the first set of people. I want to pray for those who do not know Jesus at all. And there's a second set of people. There are those who have had an inheritance. They've had a taste of who God is. But they've abused it. They've wasted it. They've drifted off. They found that they felt that Jesus is no longer relevant to them. And I pray for that set of people. These are the people, they love the sheep who have left the flock and gone off to wander away. And there's a third set of people. Those who are not currently experiencing their inheritance. They're in church. But that's all they're in church. That's the end of the story. But there's much more to just being in church. There's another parable where God was, uh, the parable of the talents, where Jesus spoke of the, the servant that hid his talents. There are some of you right now that are sitting on ministries that have not seen the light of day because you're scared of the responsibility of what it takes to, further, to, to get behind it. The good thing is that this inheritance is eternal. 
And I, it's the good thing also is that it does, no matter what you've done with your inheritance, whether you've, you've experienced it, whether you've wasted it, <laughs> whether you've, you've, you've compromised it, whatever the case is, it's never too late to be a partaker of it. Let us pray. Father, I just thank you because you are compassionate God. Thank you that you do not teach us, you do not treat us the way we deserve. We thank God your grace is more than sufficient and your mercy endures for us. Lord, I want to pray for those who do not know you right now. To you, you're just a, Jesus is just a historical figure. Lord, I want you to, this hour, to just touch them. Let them know they have an inheritance with you. An inheritance that's more than just a daily wage, that's more than just a salary, that's more than just what they possess right now. Lord, I also want to pray for those who have tasted of you in the past but drifted away. These are people who knew you, but somehow they just got entangled with the, the, the pressures of life. Lord, bring these ones home like the prodigal. And then there are those who are in church right now who are sitting on ministries, sitting on talents. Lord, just give them the courage to step out and to trust you. Lord, I also want to pray for the older brothers in the house. Give us hearts, large hearts, and gracious spirits to welcome the prodigals back. I thank you, Lord, that this is your vineyard. This is your kingdom. And this is your purpose. And thank you for your grace that makes it possible for us to find fulfillment in it. Lord, I pray that everyone that hears your word today you know where to touch them at that point of need. I pray, Lord, that they will walk away from here knowing they have an internal inheritance with you and that they will join with the angels in celebrating this summer to your glory and to your praise. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.